I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which this recording takes place, the Gubby Gubby people of Southeast Queensland. I honour their continuing connection to land, sea and sky, as well as their elders, past, present and emerging. Hey there, welcome back to the Men's Sex and Pleasure podcast. I'm your host, Cam Fraser. We're talking all things masculinity, sexuality, male bodies and men's experiences of pleasure. This is episode number 136, and today I have the pleasure of chatting with Lucy Rowett. Lucy is a certified sexologist and sex coach who is passionate about helping women and people with vulvas let go of sexual shame and hangups and embrace pleasure to create the passionate relationships they've always desired. She uses a combination of mind-body tools with evidence-based sexuality education to create a fun and open space for women to explore their full erotic potential. Her speciality is working with women and people with vulvas who come from a faith background who are struggling to let go of sexual shame and enjoy pleasurable and intimate relationships again. She is a resident of uh, the UK. Uh, Sorry, she is a resident on UK contraception platform, The Lowdown. I believe she's probably also a resident of the UK as well. Uh, And she is regularly quoted in the media for her expertise in sexual health and wellness, pleasure, and sexual shame. Uh, And uh, this includes being featured in publications like Men's Health, GQ, Kinkley, The O Diaries, The Sun, Insider, and Glamour. In uh, this particular conversation, we kind of take a bit of a critical look at sacred sexuality. I know Lucy does this a lot on her own social media platforms. So if you'd like to check her out, you can go to her website, which is lucyrowett.com. That's L-U-C-Y-R-O-W-E-T-T.com or on Instagram at Lucy Rowett. And she's also on TikTok, on Facebook, and on LinkedIn as well. So uh, beyond taking a look at the well, I guess, suppose a critical look at sacred sexuality. We also uh, talk about the neo-tantra community and address some of the things that we've noticed, including the uh, conservatism that might be found in there or the covert Christianity and those kind of moral beliefs that we have noticed in those sacred sexuality and neo-tantra spaces, the new age to alt-right pipeline, the heteronormativity and the transphobia uh, in those areas. Uh, and we just kind of unpack a bit of that, and then we shift it towards the end of the conversation to share some really practical ways for people that are listening, so you, uh, to explore and embody your sexuality. So we get really practical at the end. So if this sounds like something that's of interest to you, then um, I welcome you to keep listening. I really enjoy chatting with Lucy, and I hope you enjoy listening to us have a chat. So enjoy. Personal habits of body care or hygiene can have a lot to do with popularity and social success. Let me show you. So the next time that somebody wants you to go to bed with them, with or without a condom, then just picture that you're actually going to bed. It's not just you and him or you and her. It's that you're packing along a loaded revolver with you when you go. Boy, if you hung around with the guys I know, you, you wouldn't be able to stand it. They just talk about sex all the time. Lucy, the way that I like to start is with just a invitation for you to share a little bit about who you are, what it is that you do, and what are you really passionate about? Okay, so hi everyone. Um, I'm Lucy Rowett. So I am a certified sex coach and sexologist. Um, great. Whenever I'm introducing myself on non-sex podcasts, I always love to see that little twitch in the host's <laughs> eyes. 
Um, so I am passionate. I work with women and people with vulvas around issues around shame, pleasure, especially if they come from faith or conservative backgrounds to release any shame and inhibitions to embrace their full sexual and pleasure potential. Um, I love riffing about body image around embodiment, um, mind-body connections, um, connecting your sexuality to your spirituality without dogma and without putting fancy fluff in the way. Um, I like to use a combination of knock-down exercises and principles. Um, and that's what I'm really passionate about. I also love talking about porn and myths around porn. I love talking about the taboo. I love talking about impacts of religious sexual shame. I generally love talking a lot and I'm really excited to be here with you, Cam, across on other sides of the world. That's right. Across the pond, I believe, is the phrase. No, no, that's that's only for you, uh, Brit uh, Brits and Americans. For what? Brits and Australians. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've been using that wrong it's my whole Atlantic entire Ocean. life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've been living a lie. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, well, I, well, I did used to live in America, so I suppose that's where I picked it up. So maybe it was um, something I'm trying to apply here. Ah, oh, well, never mind. I'll uh, correct myself in the future. I appreciate you already educating me, Lucy. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> I'd, lo I'd love to start off um, just with a couple of questions around, um, you mentioned like uh, working with women that come from a background of faith and maybe that come from a conservative background as well. Uh, and I'm curious to know, is there a particular type of faith that uh, the clients that you work with come from? So I come from a, a background of Christianity. So I really love working with clients who come from a background of evangelicalism or different kinds of Christianity. I mean, in general, in general, most of the big religions, none of them, none of them are particularly sex friendly. They all have their own version of purity culture. Um, what, where I come from and what I'm really familiar with is from Christianity and evangelicalism. So I also talk a lot about purity culture and the impact of that. Um, and also, even if you didn't come from a religious background, the impact of religious beliefs on policies that are made and on culture. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think there's, um, I'd be curious to know your your observations and insight into this, but the the Venn diagram of like faith or religiosity and conservative conservatism um, and like maybe why that, that is such a crossover between those two uh, ideologies or, or belief systems. Oh, I mean, that, that's, a whole, that's a whole other podcast and spiel in itself. I mean, and also, by the way, it's 9am in the morning here. So <laughs> that's a, my that's brain a pretty is big question for a 9am on a Friday morning. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a Friday morning, okay? It's, I'm still not completely awake, um, but I think what's really interesting is because of social media and podcasting, there's so much more being widely understood that before was only really studied by academics or talked about in fringe circles. It's now being made much more in public awareness. So understanding how religious beliefs and conservatism do cross over, especially you know, in many countries that like to push agendas around quote-unquote family values or around certain things. There's, I mean, it goes way back and a lot most people who do identify as conservative will also identify as religious although at the same time a lot of religious folk are liberal there's there's lots of different crossovers there but it's not necessarily about the specific beliefs themselves it's not necessarily about the orthodoxy themselves but the mindset around it so there's you know i'm a big fan of following progressive christians or people who are progressive in religion and they tend to be more liberal in their outlook it's the ones who generally come from a much more fear-based perspective of this is how it was, this is how it should be. I mean, there's so many books and studies written on it. Um, 
But if you come from either one, both of those backgrounds, you'll probably be very intimately aware of it and have a very visceral felt sense of it. Yeah, I'm, I like this idea of like tuning into progressive voices in like faith uh, communities, I suppose, because that then speaks to this idea and something you mentioned before was like integrating your sexuality with your spirituality or maybe with your faith. And so I'm really curious to know like what that looks like when you take the dogma away from it, I suppose. And I'd be curious to to hear your your take on how you might go about doing that. Oh, God. I mean- I feel like these are very heavy topics in the morning. And yet, <laughs> and yet. So, you know, to give a better backstory for me and how the way I approach it, I grew up, you know, in the, ni- in the 90s and noughties in London. Uh, so I'm a millennial and I grew up in a very religious family. Luckily, they're not the kind of religious family that are, you're going to hell, shove it down your throat. So, you know, the good kind of religious, which is really good. Um, and as a teenager, I was very involved in the evangelical movement and purity culture. And if you're not familiar with purity culture, it is very much around all sex is bad unless you're married and heterosexual. Um, your sexual value is, you know, your sexual activity is linked to your spiritual value. Um, there's a lot of fear mongering messages. And then when I left that and I decided to leave Christianity, I kind of slid all the way down into the world of woo. But a thing that really helped me was exploring and understanding or getting into sacred sexuality and Tantra. And that's another kind of sphere that I talk about as well, because that was, for me, that was a place of, ah, my sexuality can actually be connected to my spirituality. Whereas before it was very much a feeling of divorcing them of either one or the other, where my sexuality was something that was very secret and hidden that you couldn't show anyone that joked about that was innuendos, but you just tried to sit on as much as you could. And so, but then I, I ended up having to deconstruct a lot from that world as well. But now I still really retain that belief that our sexual energy and our eros is inextricably linked to our spirituality and our connection to self or connection to source. And I was saying to, I think I posted, I shared this on Facebook a while back and I posted a few of my Tantra friends is that, for example, Tantra, I mean, this is a whole, Tantra is a very big field. But in essence, most tantric exercises are combinations of breath, intention, visualization, some sort of pelvic movement, pelvic movement and touch. And you can take that and incorporate it to anything without having to give it a terminology or a name. Um, another way to think about it is one of my, every big religion has some sort of mystical subset of it. And actually, every main religion does have an element of eros in it. So, for example, the Bible has the book Song of Songs. Um, there are many, uh, I know there's erotic parts of Judaism and Islam as well. But also, um, what was I going to say? You don't have to give something a name in order to get a connection of your sexual energy or your feeling of arousal and be able to create a spiritual practice out of it. Um, I believe in taking whatever resonates with you. And also knowing that, you know, humans like to put things in boxes. Humans like to categorize things. Humans like to put names on things, which is helpful. But often somebody else's interpretation of what counts as holy or sacred may not be yours, and that's okay. So it's, it's kind of dancing between what resonates with me, what works for me, what doesn't work for me, what feels in alignment with me, 
which is why you know we're both familiar with like the Meebs wheel from Dr. Paddy Britton, which is mind, emotion, body, energy, spirit, or the 4D wheel from the late Dr. Gina Ogden, which was mind, emotions, body, spirit. The idea that our sexuality can encompass all of these quadrants, but they get to mean you get to define them in whatever way works for you. And that is incredibly liberating and healing. Yeah, I tend to talk about like sacredness with regards to like relationships. And I don't mean relationship in the sense of like your relationship with your partner, but I mean like how do you relate to your body? How do you relate to the world around you? How do you relate to certain practices? Um, how do you relate to a certain belief? Um, you know, and bringing intentionality and bringing awareness and um, bringing like more of a depth to that relationship and how you relate to that particular thing, whether it's your body, another person, community, whatever it might be, is how you make something sacred, essentially. Like that's the practical, at least in my interpretation, my observation, that's the practical way of making something sacred is like deepening your relationship with it. So like that involves like interrogating why you are drawn to that particular part of your body or this particular belief system or this particular community uh, compared to a different community that in, you know, includes um, you know, doing a bit of an audit of like where your beliefs have come from in the first place and where your relationship stems from. Like if you have a really poor relationship with your body and a lot of shame there, like where has that shame come from? You know, and, and kind of doing a bit of an understanding of that and then exploring ways to um, broaden I suppose, and deepen that relationship. So I, I use relationship with body as a as a kind of standard example for that. It's like a lot of people don't have a very quote unquote sacred in the way that I'm defining it relationship with their body. They oftentimes take it for granted. Um, I know I have, you know, take my body for granted all the time. Um, oftentimes operating in like they're just sympathetic dominance, just going around, just kind of going through the motions, not really spending a lot of time breathing, touching, pleasuring noticing all these things that are very like easy to do but we don't do them right um and so that's like a very um i guess like that's it as much as i try um that's my straightforward way of defining like sacredness it's just like developing a deep relationship with something um and that you know it looks a whole bunch of different ways but um but yeah but, i love that oh go ahead yeah I sorry to i was gonna off. say i love that and it's like it, it makes me think of like how when I was deconstructing from Christianity, I had to really redefine what sacred meant. And part of those that deconstructing was one of the things that I was taught and I was very critical of for a while was that anything spiritual that is under the umbrella of Christianity, good, great. Anything spiritual that is not under the umbrella of Christianity, bad, devil, satanic, demonic, be afraid of it. And, you know, there was also these beliefs around, you know, being a Christian that inevitably made me morally superior to other people. It was either taught implicitly or explicitly. And that also meant having a kind of fear or distrust of people, not, not a big one, but, you know, a slight kind of looking down, side eye at people who weren't of faith because, well, you know, I'm this. And then part of that deconstruction was like, what is sacred? actually the sacredness can find in sacredness sanctity can be found in found in so many things and isn't that more holy um it was a really good book i read by uh, i still have it on my bookshelf it's by starhawk who's one of the original kind of um founders in the pagan wiccan movement 
And there was a thing that really struck me. And she said that humans have been creating rituals since the dawn of time. Actually, it doesn't really matter what the ritual is or what it composes of. It does not matter. People of different uh, beliefs will say this ritual is sacred. Actually, the ritual itself isn't so sacred. It's the meaning we put behind it. And it's the connection that connects to our subconscious mind. That's it. And that was a really big eye-opener for me. And I also really agree about that relating to your body because that's something I have both taught and walked. And I've had to keep walking it, especially in the past few years, where it's one thing to say, yep, being your body. But for a lot of people, well, okay, right, okay, I have a hand. What does that even mean? And, you know, we can talk about self-care and loving yourself, but actually the, um, I love referencing Jamie Lee Finch and her body of work called Your Body as a Person, like actually relating to your body as its own entity. And as you said, it's a relationship, literally like any other relationship in your life. And that is a path you have to walk. And when you start to really walk it and say, feel into it and live it, you realize that it is a form of, it's from holy communion you know communing with your body and we can we can make sacredness out of anything and i really believe in starting with others yeah i appreciate you you sharing that and adding a bit of depth to it because i i resonate with it a lot and i know something that you've talked about a bit and something i'd like to dive into with you here is the let's say the repackaging of purity culture in the space spirituality, new age, kind of tantra, I should say maybe neo-tantra space. Um, I've noticed it and I have seen you post about it. So, I'd be curious to know like for people that are like, you know, listening to what I just said, like that repackaging of purity culture going like, what? I don't understand what you mean or I don't see that. I was wondering if you would be able to give a couple of examples of how that's happening. So, like, I think what's really important to notice is that First of all, a lot of people will go to sacred sexuality or tantra coming from a purity culture background. I'm massively generalizing, but a lot of people will. And they see it as the antidote. Or they see it as something that feels familiar. That was definitely for me. And I really believe in finding ways to bridge that gap. Um, but a lot of the things, I, I didn't really see it at first, but there's a really um, a classic way to think about it. There's a really well-known meme that I've seen. There's two really well-known memes I've seen floating around. One of them is like sex is a sacred energy exchange between you and your partner. And I've also seen memes and stories about how every time we have sex with someone, we merge our soul blueprints or something. We, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm probably using the wrong terminology, but you may have seen it or heard it or been taught it by your teacher or someone where... Every time we have sex, and by the way, they usually mean some sort of penetration which involves ejaculation inside an orifice of some kind, usually a vagina, that we are swapping soul contracts. We are merging souls. And there was um, they, a lot of people were quoting this piece of science, which was then disproven that every woman or person with a uterus carries the DNA of every man or person with a penis who's ejaculated inside them. They found that wasn't true. It was actually the DNA from any uh, fetuses they carried that were male. Um, but it, it's very pervasive or another myth or another cross. But also that's basically purity culture because that's what I was taught. And that's what a lot of us were taught. Um, there was an analogy of like two wet pieces of paper that when you stick them together and you pull them apart, they're still stuck together. Um, but if you no, no, but it's about sacredness. No, this is another form of dogma and it's fear mongering. 
um, or just generally that we store our lover's energy inside our bodies, especially for women, our vaginas and wombs, after we've left them. And I do believe there is a place for, especially if you're trying to really let go of someone or it was a really shitty, toxic relationship, want to get them out. But this idea is really, it's really damaging. And it creates a form of shame of like, there's a really good podcast by, I can't remember her name, but it's called them, the love, her podcast is called The Love and Light Confessionals. But she did a really good episode on the purity myth about the new age spirituality obsession with purity, be it what we eat, be it chemicals, be it medication, um, and also sexual purity. Um, you know, I've also seen very, uh, quite a few Tantra teachers sharing and content about why porn is so dangerous and addictive by then quoting from the book Your Brain on Porn, which was written by Gary Wilson, who was a Mormon and a really awful bully and harassed and doxed anybody who countered him. Um, there's also in sacred sexuality, there is a lot of gender essentialism, you know, the divine feminine, divine masculine. And while a lot of people now are kind of deconstructing that and saying, well, we all embody both of them, there's still a lot of gender essentialism, especially where for women or anybody assigned female at birth, that we must, in order to have our most fulfilling, conscious, quote unquote, relationships, we must be fully in our feminine, quote unquote. Uh, and that means usually a certain kind of femininity, which means also not being passive, surrendering, receiving. But also, and they, they will, but the people that do that, they say, no, it's, it's not about that. But in the aesthetic that they promote in their workshops, they are also promoting a certain set of, you know, wearing more red lipstick and, you know, wearing more flowy dresses and, you know, really wearing your hair loose. And like, this was very active in a lot of Christianity as well. And especially as social media is a double-edged sword. There's a lot of stuff on biblical womanhood or what it is to be a godly woman, what it is to be a man. And so the, that's another crossover. And it's really, really toxic because it's very insidious. I'm generally a very femme presenting woman. I like lipstick. I like dresses. I like dressing and feeling feminine. For me, that was also a really powerful part of reclaiming my sensuality of my body. But they promote this as the only way to be a woman. The only way that if you are, because generally people tend to come to uh sacred sexuality, neo-tantra, often from a place of wounding. So shitty relationships, abusive pasts, um, all of this stuff, because we all carry wounding. And so a lot of these people, especially women, are very vulnerable. And so they are then taught by a very well-known and seemingly wise teacher with a very good Instagram following or whatever, saying, if you want to attract a conscious relationship, and by that, I'll use an example of like a, usually a male teacher who you know does that very intense David Daida eye gazing and is sitting in his masculine cock presence even though he's incredibly dysfunctional behind the scenes and is you know horrible shit to all of his past members in relationship this is the conscious man if you want a conscious man you must now be in your sacred feminine and and, and I bought this and a lot of women buy this especially if they have patterns of repeating really dysfunctional relationships because that's what it is to be human so this is another example of how sacred sexuality and purity culture it's another form of purity culture without realizing it um and what's also interesting i've 
heard this from a few people how a lot of I think apparently it seems to be bigger in Australia where a lot of people in spirituality or sacred sexuality are now jumping ship and going back to Christianity. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah, I've seen wow. a few. It's um, bizarre to me um, to see that. Um, but of course, not just any old Christianity, like the kind of Trumpist right wing. Um, they're taking those same dogmatic, fervent, rigid belief system, plus a sense of euphoria and superiority, and taking that to Christianity, which will mean the most extreme fundamentalist kind. And because it feels familiar. And that, that's why it really concerns me when I, and that's why I've, I've distanced myself in and out of a lot of the neo-tantra world when I see purity culture that's been repackaged. Also, especially in messages around porn and very fear-based messages around that, quoting a lot of dodgy statistics or junk science. There are probably many other things I can think of, but those are just a few examples I can think of the really close proximity of purity culture. And Neo-tantra. Yeah. Yeah. It actually doesn't surprise me the direction that some people, influencer types in the sacred sexuality space are heading with regards to going back into or you know, going into Christianity because it's part of that pipeline of, um, I suppose, like new age into um you know, Christian conservatism, conservatism um, with regards to like the way, uh, I mean, there was a whole bunch of, there's been some interesting research done on this with regards to like the conspiracy theories being, uh, you know, really propagated within those spaces, um, particularly new age kind of wellness spaces. And, um, and yeah, so, and, and, you know, it, it, it requires belief in them, right? And so there's a belief that is, um, so what's really um, another really interesting crossover to be very aware of is that in a lot of Christianity, there is this, uh, one of the big, one of the beliefs that we're taught is to surrender, not my will, but God's will, not to trust myself and my sinful heart, but to trust God, to take a leap of faith. Um, I remember a really well-meaning friend years ago when I was having doubts saying, oh, it's the spirit of unbelief that we must pray against when I was having doubts. And this also exists in a lot of the spirituality and tantra world of let go of your ego, stop, drop your critical mind, drop into your heart, surrender, don't question, just do. So that already primes you to believe anything you're taught, especially also when there's fear mongering in Christianity of don't be of the world, the world is sinful. Um, and I also want to preface this that Christianity that I personally experienced was not as extreme as what I have witnessed. It was not a cult. Um, I did not experience any kind of abuse, but I did witness it even then in other spaces. But yeah, it, it does make you very primed. And especially this idea of I am nothing, I'm nothing without God. I must surrender, I must surrender. And it's very authoritarian based as well. Um, and so it makes you prime to believe anything, especially in the spirituality new age world where there's a lot of don't trust this, don't trust the mainstream media, don't trust this. And it then, if you are taught not to trust anything and not even to trust your own discernment or whatever they class as discernment, that makes you really vulnerable to anything coming in. And I'm very open about the fact that when I 
kind of left Christianity and dove into the world of woo, I went straight down that conspiracy rabbit hole myself. Like the pandemic came at a really good time for me in a weird way. If it had come eight years ago, I would be a very different person. I would have had very different beliefs. Um, and it took a few years for me to deconstruct a lot of that as well. Um, but there's one more thing I wanted to say that I saw in that crossover of purity culture and sacred sexuality. Um, I've seen it in a few communities and Facebook groups, this idea that only, only the only real sex, quote unquote, should be conscious sex. Anything else is not real sex. It's fornication, lustery, fuckery, whatever. And so what you should strive for is conscious, high vibe sex. And you must only sleep with lovers who are pure. And uh, it was a, a post I put where this guy was like basically making sex into this spirit, this almost exercises workout where no, but I must retain my semen to do this and it must be pure. And it feels like, yeah, what about pleasure? No, 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 no. It's like, oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, and there was another Facebook group where um, you know, there was discussion about um, about vaccines. And this is not necessarily a podcast about vaccines, but it was this guy saying, I only want to share my body with those who are pure. I only want to share my essence with those who are pure and unvaccinated. So there was a lot of stuff there. There's a lot of crossovers. So if you ever come across this kind of messaging around purity, in whatever form related to your sexuality or actually anything, be very wary, very, very wary. Yeah. The, um, the more I've spoken to and the more I've spent time with uh, people in like the queer community, for example, um, people that are doing like- Oh, shit. I didn't even cover that as well. Yes. So, yeah, <laughs> sacred sexuality is very heteronormative. Oh, um, very homophobic, very transphobic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Very transphobic. Yep. I'll, yeah, I'll oh agree with God. you on that. Um, that's a yeah, whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's you're 100% right. But yeah, the more I've, I've spent time, um, you know, in those spaces, talking to those people and even sex workers, speak, speaking with sex workers, speaking with people that are like doing that kind of deconstruction work of like what it means to be quote unquote masculine, what it means to be quote unquote feminine are like the, the more I'm like, holy crap, like it's so narrow the sacred sexuality neo-tantra space and um and yeah and, and problematic as well in in many ways in my opinion i love a lot of the practices i love like you know eye gazing is a really beautiful practice that my partner and i still do from you know seven years ago when we started exploring neo-tantra for example uh you know breath movement sound engaging like the pelvis really fantastic practices um but yeah you're right when they get wrapped up in like you know, you've got to be, you have to be masculine. You can't be a feminine man. You can't be a masculine woman. You've got to like, you know, polarity coaches getting in on the act and things like this. It just becomes so like, so rigid and so dogmatic and, and it closes you down to so much, you know, so much pleasure, so many experiences that you can have. And so I try to not be absolutist. Whenever I talk about things, I, I do my best to try and be like, you know, here's a perspective and here's a couple of other perspectives and, you know, come to your own discernment and conclusion based on like the information that you've found and so I, that's why i always think it's like really valuable i think i talk a lot to men right and so i and particularly cisgender heterosexual men that's like what i speak to and that's my lived experience so what i say to these guys is like there's so much value in like learning about masculinity from trans men from 
gay men, from queer men, from you know asexual men, from you know from from different experiences of masculinity because there's this like very um this is a, a bit of a tangent but like there's this kind of thinking that a lot of you know cishet dudes have which is like masculinity is just like this singular thing and it's like their you know experience and what they stereotype as like you know kind of like we might say like alpha male kind of that's what masculinity is a lot of guys starting to like understand that that's not necessarily the case but there's such a world of other experiences of masculinity out there that that like i find really valuable to like learn from um where someone has the time and energy to teach me uh but just like in terms of understanding that you don't have to be limited to like this you know divine masculine in the way that your social media you know, we're blasting social media a little bit here, but like, you know, but we, like your know, tantra guru <laughs> tells you. I like, like the hardest thing for me and I know for a lot of people is like reclaiming the good in a lot of these practices. Like, you know, these practices absolutely changed my life and they've changed my clients' lives as well. Often, you know, the work I do, whether it's one-to-one or group of workshops, it's usually always the embodiment tantric style exercises that they do that they love the most. Is usually nearly always those exercises where the lights start to come on them, where they start to really feel it rather than it being like a cerebral concept. And I'll always swear by that. Um, but it, it's an issue when it becomes, it becomes this is the only way. And like, it's a very human tendency to polarize things, to put things into boxes. That's what humans have always done. Um, but it also makes me think of like, it, it's an issue with social media. Again, this is very meta because we use it. Where a lot, you know, you, we, we've both seen it when you know, like podcasts and Facebook groups and TikTok and Instagram things are these people who are very slick in their marketing. And we know that according to research, that misinformation spreads faster and goes more viral than stuff that's actually accurate. Because stuff that's misinformation sounds sexier because it sounds so much more absolutist. Whereas the stuff that is accurate is more like, yeah, it depends. And I've seen it, you know, with these these teachers or these influencers who, and also like when you are involved in this kind of world of sacred sexuality or whatever, or, you know, um, in masculinity coaching or polarity coaching, there's so many crossovers because you're usually in the same Facebook groups or you're following the same people, you're reading the same books, you're listening to similar podcasts. And then you listen to other podcasts. So it becomes a kind of ecosystem in itself. And this is how you can tell kind of different kinds of thinking because they listen to these kinds of people, they're following these kinds of people. And it becomes a, a, what's it, a tunnel, what's the word, an echo chamber. And yeah, I, I really believe and I really agree with you that men are failed by this because it puts such a narrow, rigid view. And like whenever I see like these either polarity coaches or these really like kind of high, what's it, hyped up dude bro coaches on social media who are like bumping up their stuff from a very sympathetic activation state. I'm also thinking, where's the pleasure? Where, where's your joy? Where's your pleasure? You're so in your kind of, yeah, in my masculine energy, in my testosterone. Yeah, smash those goals. Yeah, be dominant, be this. Where's the pleasure? I don't think there's much there. 
Hey there, thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I just wanted to chime in here with a plug for my online men's course. It's called Outperform a Porn Star. It goes for six weeks and it's all about experiencing multiple orgasms, overcoming any uh, sexual dysfunctions, reframing your whole performance mindset around sex to be more pleasure-oriented, We talk about communicating with your partner, being a sexual leader, and all of this amazing stuff. So if you're interested in learning how to outperform a porn star, head to my website, www.cam-fraser.com. Let's get back to this episode. I've said this so often, and I will continue to say it until people start listening, is that so many men's coaches demonize pleasure as effeminate or as weak or as unnecessary and like it is doing such a damage to to men to guys in general so yeah it's um i did a uh, well, i did a podcast about that a little while ago but yeah there's um yeah it's a whole a whole thing and, and um and it's one of the reasons why i think some guys come and do work with me is because they've been you know told they need to be hustling and grinding and working and and being on purpose and like there's no space in their life for enjoyment for pleasure for slowing down for you know the subtleties of those experiences and sensations and then they just go like cam i'm like not enjoying sex i'm not enjoying masturbation i'm not enjoying sex i've been told not to masturbate for example or i've been told not to ejaculate by some guys and like you know, and, and sex is very like, you know, stagnant and stuck because, you know, they, they don't have a relationship with pleasure. It's actually why I like Cindy Darnell so much. And her book was really incredible, um, Sex When You Don't Feel Like It, because it was all about- I've got it on my shelf. Yeah, just re- <laughs> like your relationship with pleasure. And I was just like, oh my God, these questions are like so similar to the questions I ask guys because um, a lot of them don't relate to pleasure very well. They relate to gratification really well because that's like what they've, um, th- that's their framework for masturbation, for porn, for doing something. It's just like, okay, I'm getting something from this, right? There's a reason I'm not wasting my time doing this particular thing. Um, it's got an outcome and it's got a result and it's, you know, very capitalist, I will say as well. Like it's just like the, you know, stealth capitalism, you know, making its way into their experiences of sex. Um, but, you know, it's their relationship with goals. pleasure is so, so different. Literally. Yes. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, that's a whole that's a whole another tangent that we could go on. But yeah, um, I'm I'm I, I like that we've kind of got some of the problems of like the neo tantra sacred sexuality space kind of out into the open. But I wanted to like you know shift uh, gears a little bit here and maybe talk about all right, well, what are some ways that we can start to um, you know you kind of mentioned it before, but like the the gold from those practices. Where can we take some things that like really are useful, really helpful, um, and what can we do to like yeah, and I know you work with women, specifically with women. So maybe um, for uh, from that, like a woman's perspective, um, what are some practices or some or some? Uh, let's even I'm, I'm curious about like you know belief systems and um, kind of the mental aspect of it as well that could be helpful for like going on um, in a positive direction with regards to their sexual journey and exploration and. Um, yeah, exploring their body and things like that. I'm just, you know, going to throw that all out there and see where it takes us. <laughs> I mean, like, I there's so much. And, like, also pleasure was one of my gateways as well, like understanding the theory. I think it's important. 
I think what's really important in whatever gender you work with to give a framework and an understanding and a cognitive understanding of why this is important to begin with rather than necessarily throwing them in at, okay, let's do some tantric breathing, let's do some pelvic movements. For some people, it's great, but for a lot of people, if you haven't given them the context as to why, it can be a bit like, okay, this is like super weird. Um, so for a lot of, you know, I always, there's loads of books I recommend, like Urban Tantra by Barbara Corellis, one of my favorites. Um, Shake Your Soul Song by Davy Ward. Um, a really good one, The Art of Giving and Receiving by Betty Martin. Um, pleasure activism by what's it, Adrian? Adrian Marie Brown. I'm sure there's a few others I've got on my bookshelf up there, but that gives you a framework to understand first of all, because it's all like the. I'm saying this because it's all well and good for me to say, and what about pleasure? But you have to understand why that's important in the first place, and all the things that have blocked you from having it in the first place. Because I could tell anyone to go away and to circle your hips and to breathe. But if you don't know why that's important, apart from all it's going to help me want to shag my husband a bit better, you need to understand why that's important and why it's a lifestyle rather than like, hey, well, I guess I'd better feel a bit sexier. And then, you know, a really simple exercise, also the book Orgasmic Yoga, um, Dr. Martha Tarley wrote it. It's based on the work of Joseph Kramer. Um, one of the first exercises I do with most of my clients is a meditation I call hand heart vulva. Um, I'm sure there's a better name for it. We place a hand on your heart and vulva, and then you can either breathe or just feel a connection there. Um, I usually do some sort of somatic tracking exercise where they're trying to feel some sort of connection there where they can breathe and there's no goal oriented towards it. And then I recommend that they do that maybe in the morning and evening or at least once a day to start to build that actually felt sense of awareness of oh this is my vulva and i'm forming a relationship with it outside of toileting menstruating or sex and then like even you know, there's there's loads of different tantric stuff i can recommend but for a lot of women i also recommend any kind of dance or movement that's a bit sensual like latin dancing like salsa bachata kizomba um, belly dance or burlesque or even pole fitness, some sort of movement that really gets you into your hips. I do that in my client sessions as well. And I say, well, go to classes like that because it means you start to really feel from an embodied sense of feeling sexy and sensual rather than, oh, okay, this is how it looks. Um, also, some I'm very much a fan of keeping it as simple as possible rather than going through a very elaborate ritual and routine because then you won't do it you'll end up overthinking it and trying to make it complicated and then beating yourself up for not doing it rather than let's just make it as simple as possible. Um, engaging your senses. Um, what There's a really good exercise. I think it's from the book Ecstasy is Necessary by Barbara Corellis, um, which was wrote Urban Tantra, where like your top turn-ons in life and turn-ons being anything that makes you feel yummy, buzzy, juicy, doesn't have to be sexual at all. Um, you know, like music, touch, um, sensations, anything that makes you get that feeling of, mm. and that's usually often where I start with my clients as well, that pleasure is not just around touching yourself and going, ooh, it's all of the ways in which you feel good and engaging all of your senses in that. Um, it can be as simple as buying yourself flowers every week, wearing scent that feels really good, using the nice shower gel, wearing clothes where you actually feel good when you wear them. 
that is one of the building blocks, the starting blocks for how you can start to infuse that into your life. And then you can go deeper into exploring different kinds of pelvic exercises and movement. But I like to start in places that are more accessible in every day, because then you're going to actually relate it to your everyday experience rather than, right, oh, I've got to take myself to bed and do my breathing and pelvic exercises so that I have a libido when, no, this is a whole lifestyle change. It's a whole way of changing the way that you relate to yourself, to your body. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, totally. It's very similar to um, the way that I work with men, which is like getting them, I, I tell them to develop a self-pleasure practice. And the reason why I use the term self-pleasure and not the term masturbation, because masturbation has a lot of baggage to it, a lot of connotations to it, um, brings conjures up a lot of images for a lot of guys of sitting in front of a computer screen, just jerking off, going through the motions. Um, but self-pleasure, as the name suggests, is what you find pleasurable. And that may or may not include genital touch. Uh, and so we start to broaden their experience um, or their relationship with pleasure, right? And so I, you know, give them examples of stuff that I find really pleasurable. Is like, you know, I really love eating certain foods. I really love going for a walk, right? I really love, um, you know, I, I love going jumping in the ocean and feeling like the the coolness of the water on my skin. Like, what are some things that engage your senses and feel pleasurable to you, right? And so. A lot of guys tell me they enjoy going for walks and they enjoy a bit of time like going on a, um, and spending some time outdoors. Most of the time, it's an outdoor related activity, to be totally honest with you. A lot of the experiences of pleasure that guys will share with me will be somewhere outdoors. Um, and so, yeah, so we start there and then it's like, all right, great. You've got this like newfound understanding of like pleasure and really like to put it simply, it's just like engaging the senses. Like what do you notice what, that you smell? What do you notice that you f- like feel in terms of touching? What do you hear? What do you see? Um, and how is that impacting you? And then it's like, great. Now we've got like a new kind of respect for sensuality and for pleasure. Let's then bring those same principles into like genital touch, for example, when I'll get them to do Betty Martin's practice, wake up your hands is a great practice that I do with all my clients. And starting to get them to tune into sensation um, of pleasure, right? And then starting to build up a relationship with regards to touch, then applying that same principle to their cock and balls, um, and then just starting to, to, to then move to the rest of their body as well. Because there's a lot of resistance I find that guys have to exploring their body. Um, they're okay touching their genitals, but when it comes to like incorporating their whole body into their self-pleasuring and you know, masturbation and even sex, they're very uh, reluctant and reticent to do that. And there's, there's stuff that pops up around that. So, we, we, we work through it. But um, I yeah, can imagine so that. Like dialing it right back to just like, well, again, what's your relationship with ple- pleasure? What feels good? And, you know, a lot of times when we say pleasure, a lot of people think explicitly sexual pleasure, but it's just broadening the concept. And what's also interesting, every time I've done a talk around pleasure, there's usually at least one person who's like, yeah, but what about you know, I'm going to go into hedonism, you know, it's about excess. You know, if I if I really drop into this, I'm suddenly just going to eat loads of chocolate cake and drink loads of beer. And, you know, and I'm like, that's really interesting. I say, you know, pleasure is, I say pleasure is often a bodily sensation and it's it's tuning in, it's not numbing out. Because sometimes there is a place for numbing out, but for more often than not, we need to use it as a practice of tuning in. And also I like to, especially for my female clients, it's like it's another way of kind of, you know, putting a middle finger up to patriarchy and conditioning. And I talk about how, especially in what sort of Anglo-centric cultures, so like the UK, the USA, Australia, where 
kind of dominant culture was created or came from the United Kingdom of some kind. And where there's this very, this, this is why I talk about religious influence. And I say, well, it comes from Puritan values, which was the value system that our countries were built on. Even if you are not white, but you grew up in this country, sorry, but in your own, you, you, you develop, you, what's the word? You receive that anyway. And why actually to being in pleasure is a completely antidote to everything in your life so far. And, and then if we can kind of embrace some of that transgressiveness, like, oh, I'm doing something really bad. I'm like pushing against, I'm rebelling against. Okay, I can do that. But also, I, I'm always saying that whenever I get to keep a pleasure journal, and it's when you notice that something feels good, take an extra few moments, literally a few moments, just to savor it. Just a few moments. We're not going to make it a whole hour-long practice. A few extra moments to go, oh, yeah, that feels really good. And then when they start to do that, again, it's like, oh, my God, I had no idea. Actually, I find it, I really enjoy that. And that starts to open that door of, oh, I'm allowed to feel good. Actually, this feels really good. And I'm going to give myself more of that. And I also always ask them, how does your body tell you that it likes it? How do you know that you like it? To start to get curious to follow those breadcrumbs. And that's, yeah, it's, it's a whole way of changing the way that you relate to, your, to life, to your body, to everything. And it's very much about tuning into yourself and getting more in touch with yourself and your intuition rather than trying to. Mm, yeah, I am. Um, I wanted to, to speak to you about um, kind of bringing these two topics of conversation together, which is like, you know, things that feel good, um, you know, things that, that uh, you know, bring you joy, bring you fulfillment. Uh, and, and so like, what if that is, like casual sex, for example. Um, and because and the reason why I bring that up in, in particular is because I know there's a lot of, you know, purity culture hang-ups around casual sex. And also, you mentioned it before, there's a lot of like repackaged purity culture hang-ups with regards to casual sex in the sacred sexuality space as well. So, um, I'm curious to know like how, if you've had clients, how, how you reconcile that with them, if that is something that they're, you know, interested in and enjoy and want to seek out um how you how you work with them around that that's actually a really good question because um i think i've done some posts around that why i'm very much saying to my clients because often the clients that i work with they come from a faith background or they may have often when they have hang-ups around casual sex it's often because of some sort of spiritual belief but i do also want to say that I also have clients where they have, you know, they've had casual sex that didn't feel good. And so, first of all, I'm very much, let's really, what's the word, deconstruct all of this. Because it's about what feels good. And we have to really understand that in a lot of hookup culture, there's a lot of misogyny. There's a lot of stuff that's never communicated. In general, if you are going to a bar or a club and you hook up with a guy and there's no communication there, it may not go very well. Because he's probably going to follow a certain Kind of script you're probably going to follow a certain script and it may not feel good and so one of the things i'm always saying to my my clients is what if you could let it be messy what if you could really throw out this idea have to always date with intention or that every person you're going to meet is going to be your potential soulmate or twin flame 
and let yourself make mistakes. And then I'll usually go on some short sort of spiel around why it's really important to make quote unquote mistakes, because that's actually how we learn rather than trying to make everything perfect. Um, I also really like um, the framework from my friend and colleague, Sarah Martin, who has a whole framework called the Dignified Hedonist, or she may have called it something else now. This idea of like being the lovely to see in the world, that you can have casual sex and really honour the person that you're sleeping with. And isn't it really about whoever you're engaging with sexually, whether you've been married for 20 years, whether you've just met, that you treat them with the same respect, with the same honour, with the same care and concern, where you honour them as a human being, where you care about their pleasure, where you're being responsible about your sexual health. Isn't that far more honouring than maybe sleeping with the same person you've slept with for 20 years, but you're doing it on default and you're doing it because you don't really want to do it, but you feel that you have to because you don't want them to divorce you or you're meant to because married couples are supposed to have sex twice a week, so I'd better give it over. Or going, going, you know, sleeping with someone where there is no concern. Um, there was a, in the book Shameless by Nadia Boltzweber, which is called A Sexual Reclamation of Christianity. Um, she talks about why Often in the sex positive world, there's the, I think the term safe, sane, and consensual. And she's like, I'd like to add care and concern to that. And I really like that, that whoever you are engaging with, that we have this attitude of care and concern. And wouldn't that be great for our culture in general? So that's the way that I like to relate it to clients, that as long as I also give the example of like, I, for me personally, and friends and colleagues that I know, we've often had the most beautiful, proud, sacred sexual experiences with a casual partner. And we've often learned and healed so much. It's not, but also whenever I posted about that, I've had people pounding back, you know, saying, oh, well, I was sleeping around for years. I felt like shit. I felt used and devalued. And now I found my one true love. And, and it's like, well, that's great. But we need to deconstruct all of that. We can't, it's not about saying all casual sex good or all casual sex bad. We need to deconstruct the context in which we are engaging in it. And often for heterosexual women, we know that a lot of casual sex can end really badly if there is no, if there is no foundation of respect and communication from their male partners. And even if for the women, they don't know what they like in the first place. So I like to think of it again as a form of tuning in, not numbing out. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I appreciate you speaking into that. And, and, you know, something that I like to say, and I, I think I heard this from um, uh, Harris O'Malley, um, Dr. Nerdlove, who um, says, um, or who said to me at least anyway, that uh, casual sex doesn't mean you have to treat that person casually. And, um, and that really uh, struck a chord with me. Because I have guys that are that are single, you know, and that that enjoy being sexual and enjoy casual sex. They enjoy sex, uh, and so I work with them around like, well, you know, it's not, you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to have casual sex for the first, you know, in the first place. They, a lot of guys oftentimes have the guys that work with me, at least anyway, have this kind of feeling that it is wrong to want casual sex, and it is wrong to want. Like, even though they desire it, there's like the, oh, I don't want to be that guy who like, you know, treats women or people badly. And, um, and so, you know, I said, I'm like, well, that's the first step to not doing that is become aware of the fact that you possibly have done and may do 
Um, so let's do some stuff to mitigate that. And so, you know, part of it is beautifully what you shared before. I love the idea of, you know, being messy. Um, but like, you know, talking and like, you know, asking about, you know, what they enjoy and, you know, being open about what turns you on and like having those conversations and, you know, talking about your sexual health and, you know, asking questions around that as well. And, and just like, it, it'll be awkward to begin with because you've never done it before, you know? And so like, you know, it's just takes some practice to get a bit more fluent in those conversations, but like, it'll be chunky and awkward and, um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and then we talk about, you know, I do a bit of anatomy with them as well because a lot of guys are like, oh, my God, that's what a clitoris is, um, which, <laughs> you know, at least they're learning, you know, uh, that's all I can thank say. You, thank you for spreading the gospel, Cam. Thank yeah. <laughs> um, and that's been, and I, I'm always, uh, I have my little 3D printed clitorises on my shelf and I show them. And, um, and so, like, that's a big, you know, it's a big learning experience for these guys as well. And I oftentimes will outsource um, like a women's sexuality because I work with a lot of straight guys. So, like women's sexuality and pleasure i'll outsource that to a female colleague of mine and i'll i'll have my clients go and do a session with a woman um who can teach about women's anatomy and pleasure and i often find that it lands a lot differently coming from a woman as well who can really like talk from that embodied space i I like this idea of like i don't know i don't know if you do this with them but kind of like telling them you're doing good work by doing this by telling them that now i'm educating you you are now not being one of those guys and whoever you sleep with is going to have a positive experience. You're, like, you're being the lover you want to see in the world. So it's like the core of the gospel. <laughs> it's like, go out, you know, let's, let's change who we relate with. Um, yeah, I love that. And I think an interesting aspect, and we do not have time to go into this, unfortunately, but is like divorcing casual sex from hookup culture. Because those two... I see those two phrases are used very interchangeably, but in my opinion, they're two different things. And um, yeah, and this is this is the argument used against casual sex, and it's like, well, this is why I can really agree with you. And but the yeah, but it's it, it really speaks to a lot of ignorance and internalized shame that we think that the only way to well, what's it? We think it it kind of becomes very shadowy behavior where you want to just go and shag someone, but because there's still that shame there, you're not going to talk about it. You're not going to discuss what you want. You're not going to really relate to them because there's that form of like, well, this is bad and wrong, so I'm just going to act out. Rather than, okay, really own that. Own that you want to fuck loads of people. Own that. Own that you love bodies, that you love women, that you love sex. Okay, now let's relate to these women that you want to shag as human beings who also have needs and wants. Isn't that amazing? And it's completely reframing and changing that and also pulling out stuff in hookup culture that really is damaging. So, yeah, it, they, are, they are two different concepts. Yeah, and I appreciate you saying like taking ownership of like what it is that you want, which might be casual sex, because that's something I tell the guys all the time. It's like if, if what you are interested in is casual sex, then be upfront about that. Um, you know, and not in like a fucking weird, creepy way of being like, I don't want to talk to you because you're not interested in casual sex, but like, just being like, hey, I'm, I like sex. I like women. I like being like, I like, you know, sexual experiences. And even I, I talked to some guys, I'm not a big fan of online dating apps, but I know some guys that have worked with me use it. And I will say to them, be open about what it is that you are wanting from this app, right? Don't, and you know, I see some guys write some weird shit and 
Tinder translators has got like a fantastic page. Like, oh my God. You know, show, I'm just waiting. I'm like, oh God, hopefully one of my clients doesn't show up on there one day. <laughs> but I, I, often, I often tell guys like, if what you're looking for is casual sex, like just be open about that and be like, okay, great. Like, and, and be polite and be kind and be compassionate. But like, you know, if someone matches with you and like, they're not into it and they're not interested in it, be like, cool, great. It was lovely to meet you. Like, um, you know, enjoy finding you know someone who aligns with what you're looking for on social media or on on um and i find with my client i find with my clients they end up being more picky yeah and about who they sleep with and it's like it's it's not we need to really deconstruct this binary that casual sex means that you're just going to go out and shag anyone Mm. and do anything because you're supposed to be open-minded no they often find that actually i don't want to be engaging sexually with this person or these people because they can't meet these basic things. They, we can't communicate around it. They can't give me this. This doesn't feel safe for me. It doesn't feel good for me. I'm like, brilliant. Yep. I find a very similar scenario with the guys that I work with is that they become a lot more discerning with the type of um, people that they are you know, sexual with. Um, yeah, which is the, the opposite of what a lot of people think when they hear like that you're you know, working with someone around like their interest in casual sex. Uh, yeah, it's a whole other whole other conversation. The hookup culture and um, and that being used as a way to like really demonize casual sex. But um, we'll put a pin in that and we'll have to circle back to it and at a later date because uh, I am mindful of time. Um, and I wanted to maybe end with um, you know just a, a an opportunity for you to share a little piece of advice for people that are listening to this. I know we covered a little bit of ground with regards to like some of the negatives and a little bit of the positive aspects of sacred sexuality in Neo Tantra. And I know I've got a pretty big contingent in my audience of people that are familiar with that space. So, um, yeah, (laughs) thanks for listening. Um, uh, I was wondering if you had like a maybe a a little piece of advice or some wisdom for people that are finding themselves in that space and maybe, um, yeah, feeling a little bit like, oh, this was a bit of an eye-opener for for some of the things that maybe they hadn't been seeing. Is there any suggestions you have for, for people? There's quite a few and it's like, first of all, be mindful of who you're following and who you're hanging out with and the communities you're hanging out with. Know that as humans, everybody has a bias. We all have a bias. Even if you think you're open-minded, even if you believe you're a free thinker, even if the person you're following is like, there are no rules here, there are no shoulds, there's always a bias. Be Maybe be a bit more... De- be a bit more critical of who you're following and what they're saying. And there are other ways of engaging in sacred sexuality that don't follow certain things. So I love Barbara Corellis and she's trained so many people in the modality of urban tantra. So maybe check her out and check out other people who follow that, where it's a different kind of working and embracing sacred sexuality that is not very rigid and dogmatic. Um, And also know that whoever your teacher is, whoever your Whoever you're following are multiple teachers. Nobody is enlightened. I don't like this concept anyway. It does not matter who they trained with. It doesn't matter what lineage they are following. They are still humans with human biases and human frailties, human emotions, human needs and wants. So really notice if you are putting certain teachers or people or beliefs on a pedestal as the right way to be. Really question that. And, you know, something that I learned and I love is that human sexuality and sexual expression is infinite. There are so many ways of expressing your sexuality and divinity outside of this very small box 
And what if you could throw that box away and decide that you get to define what is sacred sexuality for you and maybe see where it takes you? Yeah, I love that. And and I will um, I echo that uh, and also apply it to myself as well. So, um, yeah, people that are listening to this, uh, uh, I and oh, yeah, follow um, Cam. He's Lucy awesome. are not the gospel truth. Uh, of, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, on sexuality, so yeah, um, I, I definitely, I definitely try and encourage people to be critical of what I say um, and to challenge. You know, and, and if they disagree, to I'm always open to a debate. You know, a little gentle, you know, online interaction uh, if we disagree. But I definitely ask that people like do it in good faith. Um, that's like something that I'm, I'm a big proponent of. And again, that's another conversation. What, what exactly is good faith? But. Um, yeah, really appreciate you sharing that because I, I definitely resonate and agree with it. Yeah, and the same with me. Don't take everything I say as gospel either um, because also I um, there, there's an inherent power dynamic when you are a coach or a practitioner or somebody online. There's always a power dynamic and we can't avoid that. So let's bring that to the forefront. Even though I am and you are quote-unquote authorities and we know a lot about this particular field, we have our own biases, we have our own blind spots, we have our own frailties and weaknesses. And let's, how about co-creating on a more level that we still are learning, we still don't know, rather than, I'm at this pinnacle of sexual self-realization, I know everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I 100% agree. Um, I'm super grateful that you spent the last hour talking with me. And yes, um, yeah, it's been a delight, actually, because I love the stuff that you post online. And it's been so nice to be able to talk to you in person-ish uh, via the Ish. medium of Zoom. <laughs> um, yeah, just uh, just yeah, fanboying out a little bit over here. So, really appreciate you. And fangirling in return. Mutual <laughs> fanage. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, thank you so much, Lucy. I'm really, um, I am really grateful and really, really, um, yeah, just uh, humbled that you wanted to sit down and have a chat. So, thank you. Oh, thank you, Cam. No worries. Hey there, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Men's Sex and Pleasure podcast. If you find value from this content, then I encourage you to consider becoming a patron on my Patreon account. You can find the link for that in the description below. You'll have access to a whole bunch of perks, including behind-the-scenes podcast footage, as well as pre-release YouTube videos and patron-only writing, as well as the opportunity to have your name either shown in a youtube video or read out in a thank you during the podcast so like i said if you enjoy this content and you'd like to support it and support me then head to the link in the show notes below and consider becoming a patron thank you